this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talked to Taylor Otwell about patterns for simplifying your Laravel applications. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 52. Hey everyone, before we get into the discussion with Taylor today, just a quick update. If you haven't been following along with what I've been doing on the Test Driven Laravel course I'm working on, I sent out a huge email update over the weekend that details all the course modules that are going to be included and all the topics that we're covering, all the details about the app that we're going to be building, as well as the release date. So Test Driven Laravel is going to be available on Tuesday, November 29th. If you want to learn more about it, head over to uh, testerinlaravel.com and sign up for updates if you haven't yet. I'll be uh, sending out updates on everything that I'm doing as I get these videos done and get everything uh, ready to release. So check that out if you're interested and enjoy this discussion with Taylor Otwell of Laravel. Hey Taylor, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you? Pretty good. So uh, yeah, the reason I wanted to have you on the show today is because uh, me and you have conversations like pretty regularly talking about how, you know, man, it would be really cool to see how like uh, the creator of Framework X, like he uses Framework X, like, you know, how does uh, David write code at Basecamp or, you know, how does Evan structure a view app, stuff like that. And it made me realize like, well, you're the creator of Laravel and I'm sure there's probably lots of people that would be interested in knowing some of the tips and tricks, I guess, that you have as far as how you do things in Laravel that maybe are different than the way other people do them or maybe things you see other people doing that uh, you wouldn't do or would do a little bit differently. And just kind of talk about some general tips and tricks for writing uh, better code in Laravel applications. So I thought that would be uh, kind of a fun thing to get into. That sounds like a fun thing. <laughs> <laughs> I can get into it. Yeah, there is a lot of little, there's a lot of little things I do that I think maybe would be surprising to people. Um, I keep my whole setup, you know, is pretty simple in terms of how I work with Laravel. Um, you know, of course I use valet, um, lately and then, um, kind of the first thing I guess, or the first or the latest thing I put out that sort of really demonstrates how I use Laravel, um, would probably be spark and maybe to a, a little bit of an extent, uh, passport. And one thing that we actually do have written down, that's very applicable to both of those is this concept of just writing more controllers, I think. Um, so that's probably a good starting point and something I see, people get into a lot. So for like, for example, what I mean is, um, say you're writing an application that has like this page on the screen that has like update your credit card information, update, or maybe like change your subscription plan or cancel your subscription. And a lot of people would try to make maybe like one controller for that called like billing controller or something. Yeah. And they would have these methods on it. Like, um, update credit card or remove credit card information, change plan, update plan, all these kind of different methods. And you would probably accumulate like 15 or 16 methods on this controller. But one thing that I've started doing and was kind of inspired by a little bit by an article DHH wrote or some stuff DHH had mentioned was only using the sort of like seven rest verbs in my controller methods. So if it's not a method that's like index, store, create, update, destroy, edit, or whatever, then you just make a new controller for that thing. So for example, like I might just have like a credit card controller that just has store, update, and destroy. You know, it just has those three methods. And then if something gets like really complicated to where it, it still feels like a little grim, I might even make another controller that's like update credit card controller and all it all it only has like one method. 
Um, so, but mainly the rest verbs are sort of my threshold for knowing when to make a new controller. And I think that sort of solves a lot of problems people have with their applications feeling really messy. If you just make additional controllers when you have to use a word, that's not one of those seven rest verbs. I don't know. What are, what are you doing with your controllers? Is yours, is your stuff kind of like that or? Yeah, definitely. I take the, the same approach. Like I actually remember like a key insight from a buddy of mine who's a Rails developer. I remember asking him once, like a common thing that I think people run into is like you have like a nested relationship say you have like posts and comments right and you have like uh, an endpoint that's like posts slash five slash comments to get like the comments for post five and i was trying to figure out like what controller does that go in do i have like a comments controller that has like an optional post id in the index method or something or in the posts controller do i have like a show comments action or something And I was asking him like what he does and like what people do in the Rails world. And he was like, oh, I just make a post comments controller. Right. And it was like, all of a sudden it was like, wow, like that's smart. So now you have like a controller dedicated to getting posts or to getting comments that are related to a post. And now like your index action, for example, would take like the post ID parameter. And I usually call it like post ID in that case instead of just like ID or whatever because it's a little bit ambiguous when you have like kind of two resource names like in the same controller but it makes it a lot simpler than you know just proliferating all these methods and coming up with all these names if you can just kind of try and force yourself to figure out like well if I had to make this an index action what would the controller be called such that it made sense Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. And I think that saves you from like a lot of weird situations people get themselves into. So like people see their controllers getting big and it's like instead of taking the simple approach of just like making more controllers, they'll invent like these new architecture approaches that are sort of more complicated. So like they'll see their controller getting more like thick or fat, let's say. So they'll say, okay, I know what I'll do. If I had a command for every incoming request, then all my controller would do is copy all the incoming request stuff and then to this new command object and then fire that through some command bus. And now my controller is really thin, so to speak. And they sort of like just kind of like move the code around in that way and invent this whole new like command command bus thing when really all they could have done is just move stuff to another controller. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so they're like overcomplicating something that doesn't have to be that way. And they could just say, oh, I'll just create another controller for these two or three actions. Yeah. I think it even saves you from like wanting to make service classes and stuff a lot of the time too, right? Like what what people call service classes, which to me, the whole idea is kind of smelly because it seems like such a generic term. They almost just feel like buckets for like procedural code to put it in a new file. Um, Yep. And I think like one of the reasons people want to do that a lot is because you end up with like, if you have a controller that has 12 actions in it, because you kind of just, so, I mean, here's an example. I'm looking at like the nitpick code base right now. And there's like an account setting screen on nitpick that's similar to kind of like what you talked about with Spark. And I could just have like an account settings controller where I like have get invoices as an action or like update plan or like update payment method. But instead I have like a user invoices controller that gets like the invoices for that user. And now it's constructor 
for that controller only needs like the dependency for that one action. Whereas if I had like right. one controller with like nine or 12 actions on it, a lot of time you end up wanting to like pass in all these dependencies to the controller constructor or whatever that are not really related. It's just because all these methods need them. Or then it makes you want to do like um, method injection in your controllers, which like is a cool feature in Laravel, but I honestly like don't think I ever use it because my controllers end up being small enough that I don't feel like it, that it's weird to just stick it in the constructor. Yep, exactly. And I think it also makes you more comfortable with just sticking validation in the controller as well. Like I, this came up on Slack uh, yesterday, actually I had someone uh, ping me and say like, it, you know, I don't want to put my validation in the controller. And they were talking about like a passport or type situation, I think where, and I was like, why, why wouldn't you just put your validation in the controller? And they kind of had this preconceived idea like that it was just bad. But if your controllers are really small and they just have like one method or two methods or three methods, it's a lot cleaner to just go ahead and do the validation right there in the controller because your file is not that big in the first place. You know what I mean? Totally. It's kind of the same situation, same situation with the service classes where you don't have to invent these other things because your controller's already small. Yeah. I think the other thing that's cool about having the small controllers, which is something I've actually been exploring like a little bit more lately because all of a sudden it kind of has, re- I've realized that, Hey, this doesn't feel as dirty anymore is like having more like private helper methods in my controllers. Because now if I only yeah. have like, so I mean, let's see if I can find like a good example. I don't have one in this project, but here I've got like this user invoices controller, right? That just has to return the invoices for a user as like JSON. It's like an API endpoint. It only has an index method. Like that's the only public method on the controller. So if I have like three private methods, the whole thing still feels very cohesive because like all three of those private methods are only there to support that one versus like some giant controller you might end up with where all of a sudden you start feeling like, well, it's weird that I have these three private methods for just this one action. And then these, these three unrelated private methods for this action. And I think like when you can start breaking things up like that and also starting to like kind of shed this guilt of having helper methods in your controllers, it again, a, totally like gets rid of the need for a lot of all of these other kind of fancier patterns. Yeah, I agree. I think it would, this one thing I think is so simple to implement like in your code base and can make such a huge difference that it's really one of my favorite things to like share with people in terms of how I would code on Laravel because I think it's anyone can implement it immediately basically in their own project without like refactoring a bunch of crap. And then it can also, but the payoff is like can be so large. I feel like for a project and making your code just like more organized and understandable. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's definitely like one of my favorite things that I've been implementing in the last while, for sure. Even like, um, so we gave the example of like posts and comments, right? Where you might have like a nested resource that's like plural, but I find myself even doing it for like singular kind of like nested things, right? Like I have um, a user payment method controller, which, you know, the end point is, I think in this app, it's something like me slash payment method. And like that just Mm -hmm. takes what does it even have here? It's got a show and an update. So I can like fetch the person's payment method or I can like update the person's payment method. But it's not like a traditional like nested JSON API resource or something because usually you don't see people talking about like having single fields, having their own like URI segment, you know what I mean? But if like you're updating that as like an individual thing and you can like push it to its own controller and and it's a, first of all, it makes your code cleaner in the sense that like you just have like a one controller for one thing. But I've also found like gross situations in the past where I've tried to like 
batch everything into like one update call and like maybe some of the different things that you're updating have to be done in different ways like maybe updating the person's email and updating the person's payment method are like require totally different actions you know what i mean in terms of the dependencies that are required and what has to get called so instead of having like a bunch of real gross conditional code in like one controller method that's like oh if they're sent in a new payment method make sure to go talk to this class that updates their you know payment method in the database or whatever it's just like one controller method and it's just like if you hit this controller method, this is what you're trying to do. So you don't have to do all this kind of dance to figure out what was the user's intent and how do I translate that into code? Cause it like came in as the request. Yeah. And that's part of, you mean you're kind of making your UI like more focused for one action kind of that instead of having and, like and one huge form. Yeah. And even then sometimes I would have also had, um, I would have maybe already had the UI split up like that, but I tried to share an endpoint because I was just thinking about oh. it as updating the user. You know what I mean? And updating yeah. a field on the user. So I might have had like update email just sends a patch request to users slash ID with the email changed and update payment method button on a different account setting screen also tries to send a patch request to users slash ID, but now it just contains the new payment method. But now you've got one controller action that has to figure out what of these things are you trying to do and how do I do the right thing versus just actually dispatching them to like separate places? Yeah, totally. Yeah, You should never try to like cram it all in one. Mainly, I mean, it's not like it costs you money every time you make a controller method, like they're free. So like <laughs> you should kind of feel like, you know, generous with how many you can make. Um, yeah, because it keeps your update so cleaner. I remember like the, you know, the worst example of that, I think, uh, we've talked about is that one like Twitter screen with like the settings page on Twitter yeah. where it's literally like a hundred fields and like one save button. And we were thinking like, what must this like backend code look like to update this yeah. form? Because it was like, <laughs> it was like everything. It was like profile pictures, notification settings, just your basic profile, like all crammed into this one save endpoint. It's like yeah, pretty gnarly. It must be horrible. I'm actually looking at like, um, like the reason I guess that not the reason, but one of the things that like made me really want to look into this approach more and like take it more seriously was, uh, when DHH like tweeted the, uh, the base camp rake stats thing that showed like how many classes they had in all these different categories and everything. And he actually posted like an updated one last month, which is like a year after the, the first one that we saw. So here they have 238 controllers in base camp three with, uh, 1,146 methods total. So that means that there's uh, four methods per controller on average, and some of those are going to be private helper methods. So not a lot of like public actions kind of exposed per controller. And it's on average three lines of code per method. Like, I don't know how (laughs) anyone could like argue that that isn't like simple, you know what I mean? Compared to what you could do instead. Like they actually have like what? 272 classes that are categorized as models, which I know from like talking to David myself that that's not active record models, but just like anything that they put in their models directory, which to them is basically, you know, anything that models their domain. So there's lots of plain Ruby classes and stuff in there too. But like 238 controllers and 272 other classes in their like models directory. It's kind of crazy. They kind of take it to the extreme. I'd love to see that code base. Yeah, I mean, the average line count of three or four lines per controller method is pretty, that's pretty hardcore. I think Um, Ruby makes that easier than PHP does. Yeah. But uh, yeah, still kind of interesting. 
Another thing that I think would be interesting to talk about is just kind of like how you use eloquent models and maybe mistakes that you see people make or tips or patterns that they can use that might clean up their code that they might not have thought to do. Uh, so we got a couple things labeled here, but first I'll kind of give you a chance to kind of kind of open the floor with anything that you have on your mind when it comes to that topic. So one of the first things that comes to mind is this this whole idea of encapsulating um, database updates behind methods on your eloquent objects. And I can think of one situation in particular um, in Envoyer actually, where a lot of people. Um, say you need to update like one column in, on this database record. Um, say in Envoyer's case, it's like when a deployment starts happening, we want to set um, the project status to deploying, let's say. And so like maybe multiple places um, in your code base, you might write like project arrow status equals deploying. And then on the next line, like project save, you know, or, or something like that. And I think a lot of people sort of fall into this, this sort of pattern of working with eloquent. And one thing I did in Envoyer is I'll just write like a mark as deploying method on the project model. I think that's the actual method name. Yeah. And so then, then anywhere. And what that method does is it basically does, you know, the same thing. It will set like this um, status equals deploying and then this save or whatever. Um, but what it does for you is like a real simple thing, but just gives you like a more expressive way of interacting with like that operation on your database anywhere in your code base. And so there's actually probably a few places in Envoy where I can just say project arrow mark is deploying. And that actually goes all the way to the database, but I don't really see it in that way, like from the consumer's point of view. Um, and it just sort of makes the code like less noisy and more just like descriptive of what I'm actually trying to do, you know? Yeah. And I don't, I don't really have to think about that. It's, it's saving an eloquent or whatever, like this project is canonical state is now deploying, um, because I just told it to mark itself as deploying. Yeah. Um, so it's a real, I mean, it's another thing like the controller thing that's so simple, like in concept, but I think makes a pretty large difference in terms of the readability of your code that you're not always like manually doing these column updates and random places in your code base. And you've, you've instead assigned like that operation, this very um, expressive name that you can now use anytime you need to do that operation. So, I mean, it's like su pretty super basic you know, in terms of like working with objects and stuff, yeah. but something uh, not many people do, I guess. Yeah, no, totally. I, I definitely do the same thing. I'm looking at the same project, the nitpick project now to see if I could find an example. And I have like a repository model that, you know, represents a repo that I pulled from GitHub. And there's like, one of the things I need to do is when someone wants to like deactivate that repository, I have to like get rid of the webhook token that I'm storing. I clear out the, the GitHub's webhook URL and then I set a timestamp on it so I can check and know that it was deactivated, right? So I could just set all those fields and save it somewhere, but instead I put like a method on the repo called deactivate and I just call that and that changes all those fields and saves it right away. Something that I also find myself doing that's related is I think it's very, 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 very rare that I am calling save in my projects. Like I very rarely am like changing fields and then like saving after. I'm always like bundling things up into like an update call. Same with like when I make mm -hmm. new ones, I'm always doing like user create instead of like new user, blah, 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 user save. Yeah. Um, yeah. I kind of do the same thing. 
So I don't know like if that really is that interesting, but it's definitely something that I find myself doing. It it just feels like tidier to me to kind of like have it bundled up into like one call. Now the thing that's kind of like related to that is if you want to use update for everything all the time, then you start running into those like mass assignment errors and stuff by default if you haven't like set up what's fillable and stuff like that so one of like the first things i do with every model that i create is immediately set the guarded array (laughs) to empty so nothing is ever guarded in any of my projects yeah and hopefully this doesn't get us in trouble like recommending this but like one thing i'll actually do is just make a base model that has guarded equals empty array and then all my other models will just extend that basically so that I never have to bother with that. Yeah. Because I'm always passing, you know, instead of calling this update like you do, like I usually do um, this fill and then I'll give it an array and then I'll keep chaining the save onto the end of that. So, um, but yeah, it's the same situation where I don't want to constantly be getting the mass update errors because I'm, I'm never just saying um, user create request all and passing every input variable into the model, which is what this is supposed to protect you from. That's the only thing it's really there to protect you from is like passing in a totally like non-explicitly defined bag of whatever shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And since, I mean, I think me and you both lately are working on projects sort of like alone and we just, that's our personal rules. We're just never going to do that. So, I mean, I, I don't know how other people feel if they're working with like 40 other developers and they can't like, they don't have any code review, I guess, and can't trust someone to just not do that. But for me, like, it's just so much better to just turn that off and just always explicitly state what I'm um, passing in, you know, and I wish there was some like magical way um, to know that, okay, this person explicitly specified the keys instead of passed in yeah. this other method uh-huh. that gave you them the keys. But there's, I don't I mean, there's no really way to do that. But I think Rails sort of does that but it would make things more complicated in Laravel. Like they use what's called strong parameters instead of mass assignment protection, where basically you can't instantiate a model using like an empty array. You have to instantiate it with like a safe array. You know, I don't know what they call it. Right. But it's like, okay, you could basically type hint then like your fill method or whatever to like, don't accept a regular array. But if someone like is passing in like a, you know, this collection style object or whatever, um, yeah. then it would be safe, but it would be like a big change. So for me, it's just, yeah. I just do request only and pass in whatever, like if I ever need to do that, because I feel like just passing in request all or whatever, is kind of like harder for someone to come in and read and really know what's going on anyways. So, yeah, it's like, it's not even clear. Yeah. Like you said, it's not even clear in the first place. Like it would never, it would never be a good idea. Even if you were using even if you had fillable set with all the stuff you actually wanted to be fillable, it's it's just not even clear to do it anyway, to just say request all because you have no idea what's in that request, basically. Yeah, totally. So yeah, I mean, that's the first thing I do with like every Laravel project, basically, in terms of models, <laughs> set guarded equals empty array. And just, yeah. Cool. It's the only way to go, like in terms yeah. of conveniently working with Eloquent, I think. Uh-huh. I think the other thing... Um, that I do a little bit is how do I say this? It's more like my attitude towards like eloquent models is that I don't really consider any property on a model to be real unless it's like also in the database. Um, so I don't often have like situations where I'm setting a property on a model and not saving it like instantly. Like I usually want that to be like the same 
action. Like I want to think like when I'm changing someone's first name, to me, their first name isn't changed until, until I've changed the first name in the database. So I usually do it right away. And the only time I ever really deviate from that, I think, is when I'm explicitly trying to like change something for some performance reason. Like, oh, well, it's kind of stupid that this is doing three writes to the database when I could just uh, batch this up by doing you know, this in a different way or whatever. But like my default state is to like do an update to update someone's first name, not just like set their first name and then continue on with the rest of my code and then save some point later, you know? Right. Yeah. I would say I usually function about the same way. Um, yeah. I mean, what did you, did you ever have a situation that like bit you because you didn't do it that way? Or is that just kind of like a habit you've gotten into over time? I think it's just like, I think a lot of it comes down to thinking about like how like relationships and stuff work with active record, like things aren't related unless they're related in the database compared to if you're using a data map or something where like the comments for a post are just an array of comments, like in memory on the post while adding something to that array for the sake of that request, you know, then it's there. Um, so in order to like be consistent with everything, to me, it feels like I would rather just have everything always in the database all the time, unless there's like a real good reason to avoid doing the queries, you know, it just yeah, seems like more sense. permanent and less just like some flaky property is set on this model as I'm floating <laughs> through this request, but it's not actually like there. So unless like, I'm unless I'm like, know that like, Oh, I'm not ready to commit to this change yet or whatever, then I'm going to mm-hmm. do it kind of like in one fell yeah. swoop. I think it's fell. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So here's what Paul, the founder of CircleCI, had to say about one of their favorite features of Rollbar and how it helps them keep things running at CircleCI. Before we used Rollbar, we used a different error tracking service, and we were shopping for a new one. And so we did the, the tour and looked at, at Rollbar and all of its competitors, and it was it was really the feature set of Rollbar that was super impressive and that made us go there. In particular, the people tracking, I think, is, is really... Uh, it's not just a great feature, but it also kind of speaks our language because we're very focused on making sure that customers are happy. And we want to make sure that we have like an individual understanding of what happens to each customer. So the fact that we're able to click on you know, th- this customer is experiencing a lot of bugs and to be able to follow the, the progression of bugs that they've been experiencing is very important. If we get an email from a customer and the customer says, you know, your your website keeps glitching on me and being able to to go to Rollbar and to say, okay, you know, this individual customer, this is how they're experiencing the site. Because otherwise you, you have to give like an overall state of things and overall things are looking good because if they weren't we'd be dealing with it so i've been using rollbar a lot lately on my SaaS app nitpick ci and loving it uh, if you want to check it out you can head over to rollbar.com slash full stack radio and you can use their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days so check that out and uh, thanks again to rollbar for sponsoring full stack radio the other thing that i think it would be kind of cool to talk about which uh came up on the project i'm working on right now is using like named constructors on eloquent models to kind of give you a more like domain specific way to kind of create them sometimes. Yeah, I, I think that's a cool idea. I'll go ahead and explain your case and I'll kind of mention a related case sure. after that. So I have a case on like this Ticket Beast app I'm working on, which is like the demo app for the test driven Laravel course. And uh, one of the things I need to do when someone buys tickets is like create 
that order model and like save that to the database so I can see, okay, well this person placed this order and now there's like a tickets table that has like tickets that are now associated with that order and I can see, you know, what payment method they used to pay for it and stuff like that. Um, so the way like the actual code ends up working is like when someone starts their purchase, I create this like reservation object which has a few tickets associated with it that I've put on hold for that person and like the email that they're using to purchase it. And then when the purchase succeeds, I want to like turn that into an order. So I could just do like order create and then like pass in, you know, email equals reservation, get email, and then do like, you know, tickets, save many and reservation, get yeah. tickets or whatever. But instead I made like an explicit static method on the order class called from reservation where I can say order from reservation and pass in the reservation into the order. And then it will do all that kind of extraction and saving all those fields kind of encapsulated inside the order class. So I'm not really thinking about its relationships or its column names like in the controller or wherever else I'm actually doing that work. Yeah, I think that's very similar to what we said about you know, putting updates behind methods as well. Like it just assigns that, that flow, that set of instructions to like this actual real name that you can like talk about it by (laughs) instead of just littering up your code base. Another, another place um, you can do similar things is like, it's not really related to eloquent, but like with exceptions, I know in the Laravel core, we'll have like named constructors for exceptions. So it might be like, what would be a good example? Like, authentication exception like colon colon from too many requests or something like that like you can give named constructors to exceptions to like format the messages and stuff in very readable ways um have you ever done anything where like i I saw uh, one project was doing it was like they had a user model and then on the user class they had like user from request and like passed in this array of data so that like creating a new user from an incoming request was like all wrapped in to the eloquent model. Have you ever done anything like that? I have for some reason I feel dirty about it. Um, yeah, it sort of feels like the HTTP layer is like like leaking a little too deep in a little bit. I think it's cool though. I mean like I like the idea of like pushing that sort of thing and seeing like, am I happier with how this ended up as a result? Um, yeah, it right. means like now like your user class like knows about that. You have to kind of actually assess what the consequences of that are because I think in the real world it's usually nothing. <laughs> but, right. Um, but yeah, I have done stuff like that in the past. Like I definitely like um, that style of sort of what would you call it? Like a translation constructor. You know what I mean? Like that's like right. creating something from something else. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's valuable. And like you said, I mean, you can always just, you know, try it out and, and look at the code and see, is my code actually easier to understand and, and easier to maintain? I think this whole concept is actually like a, a pretty decent segue into one of our like next points where um, I know we've talked a lot about like amongst ourselves just how to write like really readable code. And I remember when I was first coming into like reading um, some of the stuff like DDD um, enthusiasts were sort of putting out where they wanted you to write um, code that matched like the language of the business. And it all sounded like really good on paper where, okay, so the invoice is always like the classic DDD example, right? You have an invoice and you want to pay that invoice. 
And like we would always think of it like obviously the most readable way to say that is to have a pay method on the invoice where you can just say invoice pay. And the problem with that was it was like how do we get the right dependencies like into this invoice class? And so what a lot of people end up doing, you know, is having this like invoice payer um, object where now they pass, maybe that has constructor dependencies, the invoice payer does on like some kind of payment gateway. And then you can pass, like, I guess it has a pay method that takes an invoice and now like it all is okay, you know, or whatever yeah. in terms of like design. And, you know, I know one thing we've talked about recently is like just having a pay method on the invoice, but using passing your dependencies into the method. And, even going, you know, a step further and having like, say your invoice gateway or your uh, payment gateway has a default value of like null on the pay method on the invoice class. And then if so that you can inject a dependency for like testing. So if you have like a fake or, or whatever that you want to inject during testing that has some, you know, dummy value assigned that it returns, you can pass that in. But if you don't pass it in, it just pulls the default payment gateway out of the container or whatever using service location. Yeah. Um, so it sort of gives you like that. Uh, it sort of gives you like the best of both worlds, right? Where like you have this really readable method where you can just say invoice pay without having this like really janky invoice payer, you know, any object that sort of ends in that er suffix always feels like really gross to me in a way. Like I would rather just say invoice pay. Yeah. Um, and so it lets you call it without any parameters at all. Um, but you still get the testability of being able to sort of inject um, a fake in there. And I think it sort of ties in, I mean, it's the same general concept of what we're talking about with Eloquent where we want to have very like expressive code. Um, but I think it's something people don't always feel comfortable doing. You know what I mean? Like just throwing a pay method on an invoice Eloquent model that takes an optional dependency in the method. Yeah. What What are your thoughts? I mean, has that... Have you used that pattern and what do you think about it? Yeah, I'm using it more and more. Um, I used to feel weird about like the method injection thing, but I'm coming around on it a lot. Um, I think like, so you talked about how it's kind of like related to like what we're talking about with like the eloquent methods, right? Like you have like the, the mark is deployed method Mm -hmm. or like, you know, in the app that I'm working on, I have a hold method on the ticket class that updates the held at timestamp in the database. Um, Mm -hmm. I kind of think of it as like, being beneficial for a similar reason, which is that if you have a class like an invoice payment service or something, right, which is like what people call these things or or you have mm-hmm. manager at the end or you know what I mean? Whatever random right. generic word you can think of so that you can just like put this function in another class and feel like you're following the single responsibility principle. Right, or pay, pay invoice command, which just gives you like this container to write this procedural lump of yeah, code. Yeah, pay invoice disconnected command, from which goes your through the entire, command bus, then through the right. pay, pay invoice handler, which is... Yeah. the dumbest name I've ever heard for anything. Like it's literally just like giving you like a block of nothingness to just write your <laughs> yeah, grim code exactly. in. Exactly, yeah. Like, yeah, it's just a blank slate that for you to fill in a bunch of code. But because you've like attached some pattern name to it or something, all of a sudden it's like advanced architecture right. or something. It's <laughs> <You're right. laughs> <That's> bullshit. <laughs> um, yeah, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, I, I always feel like creating those kind of like classes like invoice payment service or whatever is like throwing in the towel. It's like, (laughs) you know, I couldn't figure out a way to like describe this in like a real object oriented way. So I just like made up a noun 
to stick this function on so I could feel like it's doing one job or whatever. Right. But um, the thing that happens in my experience when you do that is it ends up like pushing you to like break encapsulation because you pass this invoice now into like the invoice payment service pay invoice method, which should be a smell when you had just have one class whose method name is the class name, but backwards. Um, and now that method has to like reach into the invoice and grab all these pieces of data off of it. You know what I mean? Like basically like reach behind the curtain and say, Oh, what was your value? Oh, what was your invoice number or all this stuff? If you compare that to the approach where you're using like method injection, first of all, Instead of having like an invoice payment service that takes a payment gateway where inside that pay invoice method, it says this payment gateway, charge, uh, invoice, get total, you know, like all this getters on the invoice to get the stuff off of it. First of all, you can eliminate that class entirely because now you can just pass the payment gateway as a dependency to the pay method on invoice. And now instead of having to go invoice, get total, invoice, whatever, that's just like private data on the invoice and you're inside the scope of like that invoice class anyways. So now you're not like reaching in and like grabbing private details out of another class. All that information, you know, how the invoice chooses to store its total is still private to the invoice, which to me, like to me, that's like a clear argument for it being like the, the more object oriented approach. Yeah, I agree. Why do you think people are so, why do you think people avoid this so much? Like, why does this scare people? The SRP thing, obviously, right? It's Mm. like, um, you know, an invoice shouldn't know how to pay itself. First of all, that is a flawed (laughs) argument. Like, that's not even what it means to have a method on a class. It means that's like something you can do with that class. That's like saying a string shouldn't be able to lowercase itself or an array shouldn't be able to map itself. Like, Right. When you look at it in the context of like other objects that have methods, you all of a sudden you realize like, oh, the name that method doesn't mean that it's doing it itself. It just means that that's something I can do with it. And yeah, I think people are just like, well, oh, so my invoice shouldn't like be talking to the payment gateway class or whatever. It's just supposed to be like a data structure that holds the data and like something else organizes that. Otherwise, I'm going to have this invoice class that like knows how to do all these different things and like my code will be unmaintainable or, or whatever. I think like the reality in my experience using this approach is like, first of all, you don't end up with many methods like that on the class anyways, like invoice has pay and that's it. So it knows how to collaborate with the payment gateway to, you know, send off a charge for its amount or whatever, but it's not like it knows how to do a bunch of other stuff. And like, Let's say, for example, that it did know how to do some other stuff or that there was some other unrelated stuff on there. Like, say you wanted to be able to, like, send a payment reminder to someone for an invoice. Mm -hmm. So you might have, like, a remind method on the invoice or whatever, right? And now if you are looking at this from, like, an SRP point of view, you're like, oh, so the invoice can, like, send mail and it can, like, process payments and it like can save itself to the database because naturally it's an active record model or whatever this is like violating the single responsibility principle mm-hmm. um so instead you create all these like separate classes to do all that stuff but then you end up breaking another you know principle which is the whole encapsulation thing because now all these other classes need to know about how to get pull the information out of this data structure to do stuff with them whereas if you just have an invoice class that has a remind method that takes uh, a mail interface or whatever, you know, all it needs to know how to do is like 
you know, give its data to the mail thing to, to send it off or, or give its amount to the payment gateway. So the payment gateway can go do the charging. Like it's not that the invoice is now responsible for mail and for payment processing. It's the mailer is still responsible for that. You know, that's the mailer's responsibility. Yeah. The payment gateway is still responsible for the payments. It's not like you're putting those responsibilities in the invoice class. You're just like designing it in such a way that it has the ability to like interact with more things, which to me is like very different. Like it's not like it can parse mail headers <laughs> and it, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not the same. Yeah. I think even if I was going to break, let's just stick with the the reminder thing. Even if I was going to break that off into another object, it wouldn't be to make a payment reminder sender object. It would be just to have like a payment reminder colon colon for invoice, pass it the invoice, arrow send, you know, so that you have sort of like this actual thing called a payment reminder, like in your yeah. system. I wouldn't, that would be my first inclination rather than to create this uh, p- payment, invoice payment reminder deliverer object. You know what I mean? That yeah. like, it has no real th- connection to like actual reality. It's just sort of like this invention um, in terms of language, I mean, or semantics. It's just sort of like this invention we created to sort of satisfy this SRP God or whatever. But it's, yeah, even if I was going to put it on another class, I would make it this real thing that's not like, I don't know how to describe it, but it would, it kind of ties in with the other things we're talking about, like name constructors and then keeping the code like very, it still has a very expressive feel to it. Yeah. Starting to feel like the verb classes is kind of like sort of smelly in some ways. Like yeah. I used to think it wasn't like, I used to think the opposite. I used to think that was like a, a more advanced way to structure your code or whatever. But now mm-hmm. I'm starting to feel like, you know, if we go back to that discussion about, a method on an object being something you can do with that object rather than something that it can do, right? Right. And all of a sudden, like an invoice sender sending an invoice, is sending an invoice something you can do to an invoice sender? Like that doesn't make sense really anymore. Right. You know what I mean? So it starts to make you kind of think about it a little bit differently. And I don't think like you can just like do this all the time and get away with it and like not have classes that end up being too big or um, hard to figure out or whatever. But I do think it's like really worthwhile to, to push on that one a little bit harder and like try and figure out like, can I structure this in a way that's like where the action is a verb on the object and kind of treat the like service class or verb class thing as kind of like a last resort rather than like the first thing that you, you do, you know? Yeah. Because like we, like you said earlier that, that kind of service class is always the easy sort of cop out, right? Like it's it's going to always be easy to just create this blank class with a one empty method that I can just throw any freaking code I want into. And so it's easy to sort of get and like take the easy way out every time. And, and like, it's so weird because it's that's sort of the irony of it as I feel like it's preached is like a more advanced way to code, but it's actually just the easy cop-out way to do everything, <laughs> I feel like. Yeah. Is to just throw everything in these sort of very like procedural things. But anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's an yeah. interesting discussion. I mean, we've talked about SRP a lot on Twitter and, and on various podcasts where I think me and you both feel like it's sort of, the most ambiguous and least useful of these four solid principles. So, you know, for everyone that's listening, you know, you have single responsibility principle, open and closed principle, Liskov substitution principle, interface segregation, and then dependency inversion principle. And I feel like 
you know, the OLID part of that, they're sort of like these real um, objective things that you are very easy to measure. But then you with SRP is sort of like this sort of vague thing. I know people don't want to admit it's vague, but I feel like the very fact that so many people argue and struggle about it is sort of the proof itself that like the rule is not useful. You know what I mean? Like if everyone argues about it and no one can really like come to some firm grasp of if it's even a good way to think about code or how you should even apply it, then the whole rule is like not even very beneficial. I feel like. Yeah. I feel like it always just ends up being like the trump card that someone pulls to justify why they think your code is bad or unmaintainable or whatever, because like what is the responsibility? And there's a bunch of different, you know, explanations of it but all of them just lead to like another question like oh well responsibility is a reason to change well like what is a reason to change like if the class like has a bug that's a reason to change so now the only things that classes can do is have bugs you know (laughs) what i mean they're not allowed to like do anything else or it's just like it's so hand wavy to me yeah and i think like i think at its heart it's about kind of like what we were talking about before where it's like should this object like know how to parse mail headers and also do you know construct a sql query you know then like okay yes those are like two (laughs) like responsibilities and like no one is going to argue that like that is not true but it's like when it gets pushed to this like real extreme where you know if i can if an object knows how to update a first name and update a last name, are those two separate responsibilities or yeah. Or if I simply know how to collaborate with two collaborators, are those two responsibilities? Yeah, Yeah, it's just, yeah. So I think like at its heart, yeah, it's about like trying to prevent you from doing that. Like here's your PHP template that has SQL queries directly in the template sort of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's been taken to this like extreme where it's like nothing's allowed to do anything. Right. Um, and it just doesn't seem useful without like a real strict quantitative definition. So what do you feel is like a, I mean, what do you feel is a better way to think about should this method go on this class if you're not sort of dealing with a single responsibility principle as people usually talk about it? Yeah. I think for me, it's more about thinking about um, who owns the data that is needed for like this action and trying to like make the thing that owns the majority of the data have the responsibility of doing this action. Like one example, I actually like I gave a talk at Laracon last year at EU and US where I did all this like refactoring with this coupons and orders and stuff like that. And one of the things I talked about in that was like uh, there was this piece of code that needed to like figure out like what the discount was uh, for an order based on this coupon. And I was, what I did is I basically counted up, like, what are the things that are involved in, like, figuring out what this final number is? And those things were, like, the total value of the order, you know, which is one piece of data that the order holds, um, the uh, value of the coupon, which was, like, a piece of data that the coupon held, as well as, like, the type of the coupon, which is, like, a little bit unclear, but it was basically like whether it should be applied as a percent off or as like a fixed amount or whatever. So there's like kind of like three pieces of data involved in determining what this discount should be. And two of them are pieces of data that belong to the coupon. And one of them is a piece of data that belongs to the order. And that's what led me to this refactoring in the talk where like I move the responsibility for calculating the discount into the coupon because it holds more of the data. 
Um, and I find that that ends up being a good way to really think about it most of the time. It's just trying to like put the behavior with the data it's operating on as much as you can and also try and avoid classes where there's methods that operate on different chunks of the data and there's like a discrete distinction between it like that's like the whole uh, cohesion thing right if you yeah. have some class that has like five fields and half the methods only ever deal with three fields and half the methods only ever do with two fields that's like a sign that there's like something you can actually split up there into things that are like more focused mm-hmm. but um trying to just call it like counting the responsibilities to me is just too vague to be useful yeah i mean a lot of times for me it's just actually doing it and just looking at the code i mean and just saying like does a lot of it i feel like it's just kind of like feel in a way too like um you know like letting the code kind of like speak to you in a way like if you had like going back to your uh payment reminder sender and like you said like you're constantly reaching for like the invoice like invoice get this invoice get that invoice get whatever and letting the code kind of like tell you like it wants to be on the invoice you know what i mean yeah yeah i don't know Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I think like, yeah, it's definitely a thing that you just kind of like have to like figure out and kind of develop an an eye for, right? And kind of just like get better at it. I don't think, um, I don't think you can ever just like put together some checklist and like as long as you like check off every item on this checklist, then your code is guaranteed to be good, which I think is like the silver bullet that everyone is always sort of looking for. Like what list of patterns and principles do I have to follow to make sure that I write good code and it's not really as simple as just like, you know, checking off these items on this checklist and somehow making your code fit whatever this, you know, arbitrary list of, of rules is. Yeah. Just wanted to take a minute to thank Hired for sponsoring Full Stack Radio. So searching for a new job can feel stressful, scary, time-consuming. You know, you got pushy recruiters trying to sell you on roles that you don't want, or job boards that make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. And sometimes you go through the whole interview process only to find out at the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. So Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. The goal of Hired is to make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. So instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. So you just fill out one simple application and then top employers apply to hire you. So over a four-week time frame, you'll receive personalized interview requests with upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about which opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big companies like Facebook, as well as smaller emerging startups. And the size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. So right now, Hired can help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. And they keep all your information totally private, so there's no way that your current employer or past employer can see that you're looking for a new job. The best part about Hired is that it's completely free to you as the person who's looking to get hired. In fact, Hired will actually pay you a $1,000 hiring bonus if you take a job that was offered to you through Hired. And for Full Stack Radio listeners, they're actually doubling that offer to $2,000. So if you're a Full Stack Radio listener who's looking for a new opportunity, you can use Hired to look for a new job. And if you take one through Hired, you'll get $2,000. So if you're interested in more details about that, you can head over to www.hired.com slash fullstackradio to find out more. Thanks to Hired for sponsoring the podcast. Back to the show. 
One other topic that I think would be cool to talk about a little bit, and then we can maybe start wrapping up, is stuff related to like templates, I guess. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything that you do often that helps you kind of manage the view layer better in your apps? It kind of, you know, you can interpret that to mean whatever you think is interesting. Um, so, I mean, I feel like my approach to view layer is kind of changing in a way like as I get more into just having real JavaScript heavy apps and I don't have as many blade templates but I mean in terms of blade um, I do use includes quite a bit I would say Um, so like on Envoy or on Forge like definitely every tab is like an include just to break up those views and then even some of those will have like sub includes from like more focused templates because I don't like my templates to be too long and it just gets kind of hard to maintain or whatever. What's like your strategy for organizing those like partials? Do you have like a convention for naming those folders or where you put that stuff? Um, yeah. So like, let me think a lot of times I'll, I don't know. I don't have any like real cool, clear or clever convention, but like I'll just have like resources, views, um, servers slash let's say like index.com blade or i think i actually call it show.blade.php because i usually make it match like the method name or the controller or whatever yeah um and then i might have um i don't know it's kind of grim but i'll have like server detail or server i'm trying to think what i call it and then within that class let's just call it server detail i'll have like these sub includes of like on forge it would be like um you know networking queues ssl.blade.php stuff like that um, but I don't have, like, I wish I did have like a, a more clever way of sort of organizing those sub includes, but I feel like that's sort of getting, um, you know, with the transition to having more JavaScript heavy stuff, it's more like components, you know, and you sort of have the same, I guess the same organizational issue on that side. But what do you have going on at the view layer? Yeah, similar. I've kind of jumped back and forth between like my approach for organizing like partials and I haven't really found myself like really leaning towards one or the other too much. But uh, oftentimes what I have done is created like a partials folder at like the top level in like my views directory. And I kind of done this both ways, but I, I've often like prefix it with like an underscore just so that it goes to the top of the folder yeah. list so that it's like so that it doesn't look like it's a resource. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, cause like you, I I try and like keep my, like some symmetry between like my controllers and method action names and my views and even like the way, like I name the routes. Right. So in the app I'm working on right now, I might have like concerts dot show is a view and that's the concerts controller on the show action. And the route name is concerts dot show as well. You know? Yeah. Um, so I usually try and structure things like at their top level, in like a resource C sort of way that's like similar to the URL and everything. And then I would try and keep this like partials directory sort of isolated from it somehow so that it didn't look like it was just mixed in with all that stuff, which, you know, I've gone both ways on it because like the thing I hated about it was always typing that damn underscore in my like includes. I always thought that looked stupid. Um, But what I've been playing with like lately, which sounds like kind of closer to what you're doing is idea of like kind of putting those partials in the resource folder for like where they're used uh, sort of thing. And then probably taking like the same approach where I'll have like a partials or an includes um, subfolder inside there. Yeah. 
So you might have like resources views, concerts, show.blade.php, but then you also have concerts slash underscore parcels slash whatever. Yeah, like, you know, poster.blade.php yeah. or whatever. And that seems to be like a fairly reasonable way to do it. It gets trickier when you start having things that are like shared across resources or and and stuff like that. But um yeah, sometimes I've made like a um I'll have like a resources slash views slash common or something like that. Or like a resources slash views slash modals. I know that's one thing I've had mm-hmm. um for like common stuff that happens across the app. Yeah, that makes sense. What do you do in terms of like uh structuring your layouts? Anything that you find yourself doing like pretty standard? On I actually projects? just use the standard um thing. Um, you know, the standard I guess when you do make auth and Laravel, it creates that layout layout slash app dot blade dot PHP. And that's pretty much the, the thing I do. Um, another thing that we've added in Laravel 5.3 sort of by default that I, I think you've done as well is where in your um, layout slash app, you'll have that, you know, JSON encode of like um, stuff you want to sort of transition from your PHP like configuration into your JavaScript configuration. Yeah. Um, I do that um, quite a bit. But yeah, I can't think of anything else like real funky that I would do at the layout um, layer. Do you have multiple layouts usually? Like child layouts that we, you know, with like multiple levels of like template inheritance? Um, actually, no, not really. I would say my views are like pretty straightforward, which might be kind of boring for people. But so um, what about on like a site like Forge where you have mm-hmm. like all the in app stuff, but then you also have like the marketing page? That's do just those a share whole- like a layout or is it like totally no those are just totally separate uh like marketing.blade.php is like a whole separate kind of self-contained page from layout slash app.blade.php those aren't even so it has its own like head tag yeah Yeah. all that different stuff yeah i usually have finding myself having like two layouts where i have like um a master layout which is like basically just like the default html5 kind of skeleton and um that's where i have like usually you know i'm importing my style sheets in the head i also i've lately been doing this include to get like a separate blade file where i'm keeping those like kind of javascript variables yeah um which has been kind of kind of a good way to keep it tidy like i'm think i look at it as basically like my config file for like my different services like if i want to put my stripe key there or like my csrf token or whatever and it feels like pretty clean especially when you're putting it under an actual like object in the window versus like just loose because i know like that was always like a something i had struggled to figure out in the past like what's a good way to like pass stuff from the back end that doesn't feel like just like chaos where like i'm just polluting like the global namespace or whatever and it seems pretty obvious now but like i have like a window.app object that is just like where i keep all that that different stuff and I can just feel like I don't have to worry about like colliding with other things there. And that seems to work out pretty good. Yeah. And then um, what I usually have is like I have my body tag. And then I just have a yield for a section called body directly there. Okay. And then under that, I usually have my... I use that like Elixir helper to get like my versioned JavaScript. Just like I do with like the CSS. It seems like the most straightforward way to do it usually. Yeah. Um. But before like my actual JavaScripts, I usually have like two stacks 
So like using like the blade stack thing mm-hmm. where I'll have like a before scripts stack and like an after scripts stack. So sometimes I have like a page where I just want to like put some JavaScript at the bottom of that page. So I'll stuff it in like the after scripts stack within a child template. But then sometimes I also have pages that rely on like third party JavaScript libraries that like I can't bundle. So for yeah. example, stripe.js is a common one. Yeah, I've done exactly that same thing with Stripe. Yeah, so I'll, then on the pages that need to have third-party stuff loaded before my app.js or whatever, I can just stick those in the before one. Um, and then, you know, any per-page stuff can just go in the after one. I don't find myself doing the per-page thing as often anymore. I used to do it more when I was doing, like, inline templates with Vue and stuff where I wasn't doing everything that, like, the more component way, but it still has been useful sometimes. But, yeah, that's, like, my master layout that I keep for everything and i can share that even across like my marketing pages and stuff because there's literally no markup in there it's just like the kind of like structure right yeah and then i'll usually have like an app layout which i use for all my in-app stuff which just extends the master layout and then has that body section where it kind of like scaffolds out like whatever your kind of general layout is like with your nav bar or all that sort of things and then all my actual app code ends up extending that template uh, which yeah. has worked out like pretty well so far. Yeah, I think that sounds like a pretty good approach, really. I've definitely done the before scripts thing, especially for Stripe. Um, I know it sticks out as the main one I've used it for. Yeah, same. I don't really find there's many other times I need third-party stuff. Like, I guess like certain, if you're using like tools like Drip or things like that that have like their own JavaScript widgets that you have to load from their servers. But most of the time you can just bundle all that stuff in. Are you bundling everything? Like even like when you need to use stuff like jQuery and stuff, you're just like minifying that in your own bundle versus like referencing a CDN or anything. Yeah. Lately I um, have been, I don't really know. I need to look like what's the best uh, practice for that. But yeah, lately I've just been bundling kind of everything together, like jQuery, pusher, view, view resource will all just kind of be in one big app.js. Um, I know with HTTP two, isn't it? It's sort of like fine to have multiple sort of requests for things since they're sort of parallel. Um, so I don't yeah, know. What I think the best it's. I think we're in there. a weird phase where there's not really like a clear answer on like the right way to do things. Like you're always kind of like weighing that. Like okay, what are the odds that like my users already have this cached from some other site using it on the CDN mm-hmm. um, versus the cost of having to fetch it from there in the first place, whereas they could have just fetched it all in this one file that I could have compressed or whatever. I don't know. I find like I try and like really limit the dependencies that I use anyways. Like I don't find myself pulling in jQuery at all anymore, mm-hmm. but I do sometimes pull in things like Lodash or whatever. But even that I like, if you're using like Babel and stuff, which like we basically, if you're using Elixir and stuff, you end up kind of using it just without even knowing you're using it yeah and you can use all the es6 stuff you can usually get away with like not really needing as many of those utility libraries because like things are starting to sort of improve in, yeah uh, it is getting better like you can just do like dot for each and stuff yeah exactly um the other thing that i think is interesting with the view stuff i I'm, i tweeted about this the other day but like sometimes you have like situations where you need to like generate some stuff for a view that needs to like come from a function um do you have a strategy for keeping that stuff organized or any examples of situations where you've run into where you've needed like helpers in your views yeah i know like even when i was doing.net and even when i first came into php um 
we used view models. We called them view models a lot. And they're, I mean, they're kind of different than like JavaScript view models, but it was basically this class where you would pass, instead of like returning a view and passing all the data directly, um, a lot of times we would just pass this uh, view model object that that held all the data. And then it would have these methods to like, um, kind of like massage the data into some like more presentable way. Um, and even in PHP, I remember in the early days of Laravel, there was actually a, uh, a pull request to like add view models um, as like an official feature of Laravel. And the only reason I didn't like add them is because the name view model, I think is sort of incorrect for like that kind of, ob- that's not really like a view model. Um, but anyway, I think it is like sort of a valuable concept that can really clean up your views a lot. Like, I mean, even just for like simple things like um, form- formatting dates or like formatting these string fields that you need to like concatenate or do a certain way, it sort of makes your template code a lot less noisy and messy to sort of pass this object that knows how to format that stuff. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I do that once in a while too. I think you can, I think I've seen examples of it get pushed too far in the opposite direction where it starts getting hard to know what the template's going to look like. Mm-hmm. But I definitely find it being uh, being useful. When you do that, are you passing all of, are you passing data and this sort of helper object or do you usually only pass the sort of like presenter object, let's say that, that formats the data? Honestly, I feel like for the most part, I try to only pass like one variable to the view. Okay. And like usually for the stuff that I'm working on, which is, you know, small, simple personal projects and stuff, or even like client work when I was doing client work, usually we didn't really need to pass anything more than like whatever you kind of fetch from the database half the time. Um, Like in this app that I'm working on right now, like I will usually pass the model and if I need that's related models like it's child like it's related post comments or whatever i fetch those like through the post in the view versus like passing them separately Uh, i I think that's like something that would be worth thinking about harder and trying to decide like if there's if there's a real side to choose there that's like logically better but yeah i usually find like i just pass one thing to the view so when i am creating like a view model like an example would be on the app i'm working on right now I have like a little bit of a translation that needs to happen between what's saved in the database and then that's what's presented in the form for like adding a concert, for example. So I just have one field that's called date in the concerts table that stores the date of the concert and the time it starts because it's just like a date time. But in the template for like the form and stuff, I want someone to be able to have like a calendar widget to like pick the date and then a drop down to choose like the time. So they're like split up into separate fields there. So at some point, like that translation kind of needs to happen, right? Between the actual database structure and then like how I decide to present it. So I create things like what you're calling view models and I call, I give them different names a lot of the time and I still haven't landed on something that feels like the obviously like right naming structure for these things. But I'll like just like create that in the controller. It'll be like a new concert form maybe even or something and pass in like the concert and then pass that to the view and that'll be able to extract all the different things that are needed. Um, and that ends up like working out pretty good. I think like the other interesting thing that happens to me in views sometimes is when I need stuff that's like not really that feels weird to pass from the controller. So like 
I had this situation where I needed to generate a drop down menu of like every time of day in 30 minute increments because that's what I wanted people to be able to choose from as far as like what time of day a concert could start, right? Like 5, 5.30, 6, 6.30, whatever. Mm-hmm. And like I didn't want to have like a method in the controller to generate that and pass it along. It just like felt weird. Like it didn't feel like the controller needed to care at all about the fact that the view needed to generate this drop down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I made like a separate class that has just a static method that like generates that list of options for me to just loop over in the view. And I'm finding that to be like a good way to kind of keep some of that stuff organized sometimes. Uh, do you ever do stuff like that? Yeah, I know I've definitely done a few things like that, um, especially for like, um, I think for like displaying the regions um, from the different service or server providers and Forge, like Amazon has different regions, DigitalOcean has different regions. Um, Linode has different regions and the same way with like the different um, CPU like sizes, I guess you can have on the different services. Like I didn't really want to like clutter up the controller with like all those different options or whatever, but I wanted to kind of like abstract the behind this like region object and stuff. Yeah. So it was just like little helpers um, just to sort of, I don't know. They're just like little things. They're just like little plain PHP classes, but I feel like a lot of times people are sort of like scared to write plain PHP classes, <laughs> like in their Laravel applications. Like if it's not like a model or a controller or a job or an event, like they don't, it's like it doesn't occur, you know, that that I can just write like a, a plain PHP class to help sort of help me do something. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it, I mean, it's just usually little stuff, but it, it just sort of cleans up the code a little bit, you know, and makes it a little bit better. How do you keep that stuff like organized in like your actual project structure? Uh, I'll just create directories for it. I think I'm trying to remember. I think that when I call in presenters um, in Forge, but I'm not like really tied to any one name for that. Um, yeah. I'll yeah, just kind of create create sort of like random directories as needed. You know, if I if I have like a repository, I'll just make a repositories directory, or even just throw it in the top top layer. You know, yeah. um, apt app directory. Sometimes if it's a fairly small project or even medium sized project. Yeah, I usually default to putting everything in the top layer until it starts to like bother me that there's too much stuff there <laughs> yeah but even then like i feel like i don't have a good reason until there's a collision which like never happens anyways <laughs> no i would ne- i almost never have a collision so it's it's there's usually no point in namespacing but yeah i agree like at a certain point you do feel sort of like superstitious about it in a way <laughs> yeah cool well um i think we've been kind of going at this for like quite a while here so we should probably start wrapping this one up but uh is there any other things that you want to leave people with uh, before we get going? Uh, not that I can think of. Uh, don't be scared to make controllers. Don't be scared to uh, make little helper classes. I don't know. I, th- I just think the main point that I would try to communicate with like Laravel users is just try to always be kind of thinking about expressive ways to write your code and don't always default to like creating these, these blocks of like <laughs> service objects or command objects that you don't really... Um, need and that aren't super expressive but anyway (laughs) sounds good man well uh thanks for coming on the show again it was good uh chatting with you about this stuff and i think uh hopefully this will be a cool one that people uh get some good tips from yeah thanks for having me so if you're interested in show notes for this episode they'll be available at fullstackradio.com slash 52 thanks to rollbar and hired for sponsoring the podcast and if you can rate and review the show on itunes that would be awesome thanks everyone see you next time